Hello and welcome to Indy Star's Politics Podcast. This is Greg Weaver, and we're here today to talk about the presidential campaign, which hit Indiana with full force this week, uh, as the state's primary becomes increasingly pivotal in the race for the Republican nomination. Donald Trump had a sizable rally at the fairgrounds on Wednesday. Ted Cruz was here at the GOP dinner on Thursday. And next Tuesday, John Kasich will be here for a series of events. And now we're left to just wonder how they're doing with Indiana voters. And here to help me size all that up uh, are Indy Star's election team, Tony Cook, Chelsea Schneider, and Stephanie Wong. So let's start by talking about Donald Trump's rally on Wednesday. Uh, Tony had a pretty good uh, turnout. Uh, how would you describe the crowd? Yeah, well, it was large, which was, I think, noteworthy. You know, I would say probably a good 4,000 people there. Um, and so I think that's a good sign for the Donald. Um, I also think that they were enthusiastic. So, you know, you never know whether these large rallies translate to votes, but based on the enthusiasm that I witnessed from the crowd, um, I would say there's a pretty good chance they're, they're pretty motivated. Right. So you, so you had roughly 4,000 people there. Um, there was a lot of cheering. There were some protesters, too. That made things a little more exciting, right? Yeah, I mean, we saw some protesters get removed from the rally after they started booing. It was interesting. Uh, before uh, Trump spoke, an announcer came up and basically told the crowd what to do if there's a protester, gave them instructions to you know hold up their campaign signs and chant Trump, Trump, Trump uh, to help police identify a protester. He said those people were taking advantage of Mr. Trump's hospitality and that emphasized that this was a private event paid for by Mr. Trump um, and, you know, asked the protest or asked the su Trump supporters not to exercise any violence, not to touch the protesters. And for the most part, based on what I saw, uh, that's how it how it played out. So several people were removed, but there was, you know, the the event was not marked by the kind of uh, physical altercations that Trump's rallies have, you know, become infamous for. Right. And uh, so with, um, I mean, Trump was there also, though, to give a speech. Were there any takeaways from his speech? Well, he spoke for almost an hour. And, um, you know, unlike <laughs> stump speeches that we're accustomed to from politicians, it wasn't exactly, you know, well-organized. It was, it was a bit rambling, but yeah, he said a lot. He really took uh, Carrier, the company that's laying off uh, more than a thousand workers here in Indianapolis and, and moving production to Mexico. He really took them on, said he asked the crowd, you know, if it would, uh, if they thought it was a good idea to tax the hell out of the company. Uh, or their air conditioners, if they tried to bring them back into the United States, said he would implement a 35% tax on, on those air conditioners coming back into the country. And that if he had been president, Carrier would have called him up after receiving his call, would have called him back within 24 hours and said they're staying in Indianapolis. So a lot of, a lot of big talk. Um, you know, it would, have, it would be interesting to see how Carrier would react to a Donald Trump presidency. But I uh, I think you know he was really he was really trying to give a message that would resonate with blue collar workers. Indiana is one of the most industrial you know 
uh, intensive states in the nation. So I think he's really targeting that audience with his message on trade and hoping that that resonates with people. Yeah, and, and Stephanie, you were there as well. Uh, what were your takeaways from the speech, or did you think it was uh, effective with Indiana voters? I think what we heard from a lot of his supporters is that they really like the way that he's plain spoken and the way that Trump just tells them exactly what he wants to do is something that really resonates with him. So I think he was able in his speech to capitalize on that and um, definitely rally his supporters you know, around that idea. So in Chelsea, you were outside with the protesters primarily. Um, what was the, the message from them? Definitely. Well, you know, there was about 150 protesters when all was said and done. And really, they were, you know, chanting what you would expect, you know, stop Trump, you know, dump Trump. It seems as though the biggest policy issue that they take, um, you know, issue with him is his, you know, stance on immigration issues, especially when he speaks about, you know, building the wall. Um, that's when you, the protests got more heated um, because even though they were outside and a little bit removed from the hall, there was still a speaker basically blaring what he was saying from inside the hall. So there were some times where they were screaming over the speech and not a lot of it was audible, but they did quiet down for for quite a bit of it, you know, um, and that's kind of where he got maybe the, the biggest you know, negative feedback. Yeah, well, um, let's move on to uh, Ted Cruz's appearance at the uh, spring dinner, the Republican spring dinner on, uh, on Thursday. Um, Stephanie, can you maybe contrast the crowd at the Trump rally with the with the crowd at at, at this the spring dinner and with Ted Cruz? Well, Ted Cruz is obviously speaking at a private event um, as opposed to a rally, and so he sold out a crowd of more than 800 people at 150 bucks a ticket. Um, so you were it was a sit down dinner type setting in a banquet hall. Um, there were still a couple of protesters outside. Um, and everybody who was in this spring dinner was obviously a, a supporter of the Indiana Republican Party. So I think it was a much different type of crowd that you saw um, showing up for Ted Cruz. Yeah, I mean, I think it was significant that Trump held a large rally at the Indiana State Fairgrounds and Cruz, um, you know, uh, went to an event with some of the party elite and some of the party's, you know, long-term donors and supporters. So, I mean, you can sort of see Trump is is making an effort to sort of cater to the masses, if you will. Um, you know, a lot of people in T-shirts and ball caps where you see uh, crews, you know, targeting um, more of the, the party establishment, if you will, or the, the, the stronger activists within the party who've been around for a while. And... Um, and so I think I think that's significant because those are those may be two different demographics, and I think the question is whether Trump will get his demographic to turn out. So if he can, you know, then I think it's going to be a pretty competitive race. And and if uh, and the other factor, which we'll probably talk more about a little bit later, is is the politics of the delegates and how all of that works. And I think Cruz's effort is more strategically aimed at that crowd um, in light of the fact that he can no longer mathematically win the nomination outright. He'll have to fight for those delegates. So it makes sense that he came to a dinner where a lot of the delegates were rather than holding just a, a large public event. Yeah, and I think we were 
you know, talking privately earlier about uh, if you put if you look at the the two events side by side, uh, Cruz's speech to the to the spring dinner, and Trump's rally, you kind of almost see three factions of of the Republican Party to some extent. Uh, you want to talk about that a little bit, kind of what you saw? Yeah, I mean, traditionally in Indiana, you think of the Republican Party, at least within the past few years, as having these two different factions. One, uh, social conservatives, people who are more focused on issues like abortion, religious freedom, um, those sorts of issues, gay marriage um, until the Supreme Court decision. And then you have... Uh, the other faction, which is more focused on fiscal issues, more interested in economic development and how policies and regulations affect business. And those two factions don't always agree on issues here in Indiana, and you've seen that play out at the State House a lot this year. Now, though, you have Donald Trump coming onto the scene, and he seems to be catering to almost a, a whole other faction of, you know, the disaffected blue-collar worker folk who have worked in manufacturing, who have seen either lost jobs or have, you know, know people who have lost jobs uh, over the years as manufacturing has declined. And so I think that, you know, you see those, that you, you almost see a third Trump of, uh, effectively trying to pull together a coalition that's essentially a third faction, potentially, of the GOP here in Indiana. Yeah, so... Of those three factions, I guess, who can, who do you think can coalesce a win? That's a good question. I mean, traditionally, social conservatives have been strong because, and I think they're leaning towards Cruz, um, because they have a lot of foot soldiers, you know? Um, you see messages getting passed through on issues through church networks and things like that in the evangelical community. And, and that can create, you know, a real powerful uh, group of voters. And so I think Ted Cruz is trying to tap into that. At his events, I heard a lot of supporters who he talked with respond to what he was saying by saying, amen. You know, you saw Mike Pence and, and Matt Bevin, the Kentucky governor, who also spoke at the, at the Cruz event, say that, you know, they, they made a lot of biblical references and, and things like that. Um, and I think Cruz, you know, stands a good chance of, of turning those people out, um, as opposed to Donald Trump, who cusses at his rallies and, uh, you know, focuses on more of the anger that's out there. And I think there are a lot of people frustrated with the establishment and pissed off about the economy. And so that's a powerful motivator as well, you know. The business faction probably leaning a little more towards Kasich, um, but they seem so exasperated by the whole process so far and and so shocked at Donald Trump and, and what he's been able to do that I don't know if those people are, you know, I'm, I'm not sure they're as motivated as the other two factions in this election, given Kasich's current standing. And a lot of them supported Bush or Rubio previously, and now, you know, they now there's Kasich, but he's so far behind the other two, they're just not really sure what to do. Right. So, well, I mean, let's do talk about John Kasich a little bit because, I mean, he's, he's certainly a distant third in this race. He's certainly the dark horse. Uh, but um, uh, he appears to have or and claims to uh, have uh, locked up a majority of Indiana's uh, delegates uh, should the nomination process at the Republican convention go to a second ballot. Um, 
And I don't know if that's going to have any impact on the uh, primary election vote itself, but it certainly is an interesting wrinkle in all of this. And we're going to see John Kasich uh, next week on Tuesday. Uh, Stephanie, can you talk a little bit about kind of what's on his plate, where we'll see him, what he'll be doing? He's spending some significant time in Indiana on Tuesday. He's kicking things off with a town hall meeting in Noblesville um, at 11 o'clock. And he's going to move on to do a meet and greet downtown before staying in Indianapolis to watch election returns um, from Pennsylvania and some of the other northeastern states, which is pretty huge, um, you know, that he would choose to be in Indiana for that. Yeah. And so, um, I mean, it, it kind of makes you wonder if he thinks he's not going to do that well in the northeastern states because he's going to be here on the night that those election returns come in. Um, I mean, what do you think about his chances here with voters? I think he's trying really hard. I mean, like you know, Tony alluded to, he may have a pretty good hold um, with some of the Republican elite, um, particularly the delegates who have said um, that they're looking to him. Should it should the convention go to a second ballot? In part, you know, they talk a lot about electability, and so I think he's got to come here and pitch himself as. A more moderate Republican and try to appeal to a lot of the people here who have more business interests and want to stay away from social issues and um, want to stay away from some of the mudslinging that's gone back and forth and the um, the fury that's you know been invoked in this election so um, but we'll see what kind of crowd he can pull out you know he's from a neighboring state and so you would think that people might hear be a little bit more familiar with him but at the same time, he just doesn't have the national momentum that some of the other candidates have. Right. And you've, you've heard him also, uh, his campaign, compare him to Mitch Daniels, uh, the highly respected former governor of Indiana. Um, Chelsea, do you think that plays well with Indiana voters? Will that be a drawing card for John Kasich? Definitely. Well, I, I think Tony makes a good point. I think when you look at the type of Indiana voter that's out there, I do think social conservatives do really have a really, um, you know, big movement in the state, and they've shown the ability to get, you know, their candidates, you know, their proposals, you know, through both the General Assembly and also at the ballot box. But, you know, it does seem that, you know, Governor Kasich does have the support of a lot of, you know, both establishment, but also, you know, Republican leaders. So I think comparing him to, you know, Governor Daniels, wildly popular in the state, showing his ability to be, you know, the, um, you know, fiscal conservative that Republicans, you know, adored, you know, Governor Daniels for, I think it's a strategic move to basically compare him to, you know, a widely popular, you know, former governor. I think the other thing to keep in mind with Kasich is, you know, the, for both him and Cruz, the goal is no longer to, you know, win the nomination outright. Mathematically, they can't. All they can do is try to stop Donald Trump. And so the way Indiana's delegates are awarded is half about half of them are based on congressional district the votes within congressional districts so if Kasich can make a dent in the indianapolis and donut county areas you know he may have he may have a shot of you know stealing some of those swiping some of those delegates away from from trump or cruz and then you know cruz with his emphasis on social conservatism and and those i think that really resonates in in certain parts of the state where even if trump does win the popular vote those two guys may be able to swipe you know six to twelve delegates away um and at least prevent 
Trump from having a complete sweep here. And so that may be part of the strategy, too, behind these visits. And I think that's why, you know, Cruz went to an event where you had Republicans from all across the state coming into town. Um, and you see Kasich focusing most of his energy in, in Marion and the Donut Counties. Right. And let's talk about the delegate situation a little bit so we, people can understand kind of what we're talking about. Uh, 1,237 delegates is the magic number that Trump needs to secure in order to win the nomination outright. He doesn't have that yet. That's why Indiana is becoming increasingly important both for Trump and for those who want to stop him. Uh, and uh, Indiana's uh, 57 delegates are at stake in uh, the primary election on May the 3rd. And um, can you guys talk a little bit about how those delegates would be divvied up uh, once, once we get the results back? So with, uh, with the first vote at the convention, the delegates are bound to vote the way that their congressional districts or the way that the state um, voted. And so they'd have to support whoever, whichever candidate um, won there. But if it comes to be that uh, that one candidate hasn't won that outright, it could go to a second ballot in which the delegates would be free to vote for whoever they want to. And when we spoke to Indiana's 57 uh, Republican delegates, a lot of them said that they couldn't support Trump and wouldn't support Trump and that they'd be looking more towards a candidate like Kasich. So yeah, so he certainly seems to, Kasich seems to have the upper hand on, on a second ballot. So just to go over the way that we award delegates a little more. So we have 57 delegates, and if I remember correctly, 30 of those are uh, a winner-take-all, and that is that if, if whoever wins the state statewide election gets those 30 delegates. Then the 27 other delegates are uh, divided up equally, three each, in Indiana's nine congressional uh, districts. And whoever wins a district wins the three delegates that are attached to that district. Um, I have that right, right? Yep, yep, that's right. <laughs> it's confusing right. enough for me. I can't imagine what it's like for people who don't follow it on a regular basis. So, <laughs> so the strategy for someone like Kasich might be that he's going to pick off a few congressional districts and concentrate on those. Indianapolis might be one of those districts that mm -hmm. Kasich could win. He also might be able to win in some of the ones that are more heavily populated by people uh, in metro Indianapolis. Um, but then, as Tony was uh, suggesting earlier, the farther you move out in the state, uh, kind of the more conservative it becomes. And that may be ter more the territory of Trump and Cruz. And that probably is where the biggest battleground is going to be, I would guess. Uh, for delegates. I think what would be really interesting is to see how Kasich pitches himself. So when Trump came here this week, he was definitely pitching vote for Donald Trump. And he took a couple of cheap shots at, um, you know, his opponents because he likes to call Ted Cruz Lion Ted and he likes to call, you know, Hillary Cricket Hillary. But for the most part, he was talking about himself. Um, when Ted Cruz was here, he was pitching himself as um, not Donald and he was pitching himself as the candidate who can win against Hillary. And so I think we it'll be really interesting to see when John Kasich comes here, how he frames himself in terms of the race. Yeah, I mean, I think Kasich is gonna pitch himself as the uh, pragmatic person in the race, um, 
one of the biggest complaints you hear about Trump and Cruz is they make these promises, but there's a big question about how they would actually be able to carry that out, whether it's financially in terms of building the wall for for Donald Trump or abolishing the IRS for Ted Cruz. You know, these guys are going to have to probably uh, deal with uh, Democrats in Congress. And so, you know, how is this how is any of this actually going to happen? Kasich will argue that, you know, as governor, he's worked across party lines when needed to get things done and that he's balanced to, you know, help balance a federal budget. And so he's going to argue that, you know, he's the pragmatic solutions oriented person in the race who can actually get things done. The, I just don't know if Republican primary voters are necessarily interested in that message this year. Right. Yeah. So, well. So we know we're going to, we've already seen two of the Republican candidates. We're going to see the third, uh, John Kasich in Indiana, uh, on Tuesday. Um, and we know we're going to probably see them many more times, uh, before the May 3rd primary rolls around. We haven't seen the Democratic candidates here yet, uh, but some things are happening. Chelsea, can you bring us up to date on what's happening on the Democrat side? Yeah, where are they, right? right. So, but, you know, in actual fact, when you look at the primary season, the Democratic candidates, Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton, a lot of them established offices, you know, ground games pretty early in the state. I mean, Sanders' campaign has been here for about a month, you know, phone banking, going door to door. I talked to the state director yesterday. They have eight satellite offices open. And that's really his strategy, right? Appealing directly to voters and people who can resonate with his message. And really, his message is kind of, you know, similar to Trump, but probably not similar in the delivery about, you know, how the country's trade policies have really ruined middle class jobs. And he's really trying to speak to that crowd. So, you know, this week you saw him pick up a pretty critical endorsement. The union who represents the carrier employees say they're going to be supporting Sanders in the primary. Um, On Clinton's side, you know, they have released endorsements as well. I think she has, you know, the um, support of the majority of the state law, Democratic state lawmakers in the General Assembly. And um, they said that they're start, they're going to start becoming more vocal on the Clinton side as well. And, um, you know, we haven't really seen a lot of, you know, commercials, but Sanders did launch three new ones this week. So definitely more quiet than the Republican side. But I do expect that we'll start seeing more of the candidates in person as we get closer to May 3rd. Next Tuesday is a pretty big deal for them. There's several northeastern states who are holding primaries. I think given you know voter trends, Sanders could feel like he's competitive in those states. So I think after we get over the hump of April 26, we might see them turning their attention more to Indiana. Yeah, so certainly after next Tuesday, there'll be a national spotlight uh, on Indiana, no doubt, uh, because uh, of how critical the delegates are uh, to the Republican nomination uh, and are still a factor uh, on the Democrat side. So those are all things we'll be following in the coming week. Uh, We'll also be uh, covering uh, any visits of the presidential candidates. So if you'll follow us uh, online and on your mobile devices. Uh, we'll be having live blogs uh, every day of uh, all the presidential visits. Uh, and uh, we'll be on Twitter. So watch us on social media as well. So until next week, so long.
Thank <laughs> you.